With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. While you have a civil populist that might not necessarily get covered on paper, being able to get people out on the ground and doing the work and caring for people, that's that really makes a big impact. Welcome to the 1CA podcast, a production of the Civil Affairs Association. I'm your host, Asad Raza. Our guest today is Vish Odedra from the United Kingdom who's worked in both the UK defense and civil agencies. Our topics for today will expand from the whole of society approach to the national COVID-19 vaccination, which includes civil military, law enforcement, and private organizations coordination and cooperation in the UK. Vish, welcome to 1CA podcast. Can you tell our audience a bit about yourself? Hi, it's uh, great to be on the podcast. Um, my name is Vish Odedra, a member of the British military through um, my regiment, my one one engineer regiment, EOD and such. I um, also work with um, St. John Ambulance as a volunteer um, with NHS West London Trust as a volunteer carer for people who have gone through detraining as the result of COVID-19, and then also as an NHS vaccinator through NHS Westminster and Chelsea Trust. Oh, thank you, Vish. That's an impressive background. Seems like you've been very engaged within the vaccination and COVID-19, both in the military and civilian side of your careers. So can you talk a little bit about the UK's approach to COVID-19 vaccination? Yes, um, it's been about making sure that care is provided, that the checks and balances are in place to, to care for people across the spectrum of society. And that has included coordination across different agencies uh, towards a common effort. That's great. Can you talk a little bit more? You, you said a whole of society approach to the national vaccination. Can you talk about some of the uh, coordinations from the military uh, side of it? I, um, I can't really go into the details of it, but what it is, is it's more organic in nature. What it is, is you have so many civil agencies and um, different parts of the civil government that are working together. And you might find that some agencies um, will contact each other. And through this combined network of um, integration, you have a holistic approach to care, but then you also have safety and measures in there to care for the civil populace. And um, while it's often unseen and often the work goes unnoticed by the civil populace, the care is always available. And that is something that is, from my heart of hearts, can say, puts a big smile on my face to know that there are people that are working, not necessarily in the open, but are doing a lot of work to, to ensure care is provided. No, that's great. I'm sure a lot of your colleagues on the ground actually share the same aspect. That's great. One question. So when you're talking about the collaboration with the different agencies, uh, civilian, uh, police, military, is there a central operational center, like an emergency operations center, EOC type, to be able to coordinate all the different capabilities across the different agencies? 
There may be, um, due to my um, operational understanding of the common operational environment, I, I wouldn't know. And if I was privy to that information, I do believe that I'd have to push it upstairs before getting permission to discuss it. So. Yeah, no worries. I understand. At times, you really don't know how some of these uh, coordinations and collaborations is happening above you. Uh, so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, in your paper, you talk a little bit about the civil police and military assistance. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so I'll give you an example. So um, just over this weekend, I was supporting with St. John Ambulance at an event, a football event. So I can't give you the exact details as to what game it was. But what I can say is it was, I'd say, the highest standard of cooperation between the, the civil police and the actual staff at the stadium and the healthcare agencies in a holistic approach. I've never seen such an organized approach ever, ever. And um, when I discussed it to one of the police commanders, uh, I just as a as a word aside, I said to him, uh, I was just want to say thank you so much for for coordinating the, the the teams. He said, No, no, it's all right. Just if you can tell the stakeholders in the uh, in the control room that, how you feel. So this is my heart going out to that metropolitan police commander for for organizing all that. Uh, that's great. I'm sure he appreciates that. I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, you, you said the ISR in support of national vaccination strategy in light of protests and civil disturbance. Okay, so what it has been is that, um, like I said before, the, the combined efforts to provide care and support for the people, the civil populace coming to the site in regards to their care support has not only been um, in regards to a clinical sense, as in let, tactically, let's get them through the doors, let's make sure that their data is logged correctly, um, they go through the vaccination process with the checks and balances in place, but it includes um, the wider ISR efforts by the, the whole police and military coordination in regards to the sites. Because there has been civil disturbance, you know, that it, this has been international. And it's, it's something that I really do feel strongly about, is the fact that there are so many agencies that are caring for the civil populace, but the civil populace never really finds out who the great people are that are looking after them. And often in these cases, you do find that while the civil populace doesn't know, the people that are do providing that care and the ISR support are doing such an upstanding job, such an amazing support, support job that it's often unnoticed by the civil populace. And it can be so easily forgotten in light of the depth of the pandemic and how endemic it is across the international sphere. And so um, I, I reached out to yourself and, and across the US, so all the first responders and the teams in the US that are, have got similar ISR assets to support the vaccination as, um, as, as you go into the future. So I appreciate that. One question, we're talking about the uh, vaccination sites and some of the more um, vulnerable populations or areas that potentially people that do not want to uh, get vaccinated are a little bit more hesitant. Do you understand or do you know, uh, do you have an understanding of how these locations were identified for the vaccination sites? Sure. So what I found was um, it's to do with uptake um, numbers. And while you don't have a complete picture of a consensus of an entire location, you might have a, a somewhat of an understanding of the population figures. And if you find that there is an engagement within an area, often it comes down to looking into the going down to care within the, I'd say, the civil um, faith areas of 
of operation. So um, you're reaching out to civil faith leaders and, and working through them. And often it's the civil, civil um, population will come to, to these co- congregations and look to guidance. And it's being able to support the population through the vaccination process. And often I found it is the, the fact that there is a digital divide. So you do have a part of the population that do not have access to the data and access to the assets that the wider population has. And it's being able to support those people, the people that don't have access to iPhones, to pads and um, access to computers, and often are living an analog life in a quite digital world. And being able to support those populations has a massive impact for the future. No, Vish, that's a, you bring up a really good point with the digital divide in society and uh, specifically some of the more uh, lower, lower income areas where people don't, don't have access to the right information and they're more vulnerable to misinformation and not really truly having an understanding about the vaccination and the vaccine process. So knowing about the digital divide and knowing that some of the people are living within the digital world still living under analog, how do you counter that and how do you inform the population on the vaccinations? So often what I found is it's about it goes down to uh, a, a strategized approach to information management. So providing people with leaflets, providing people with access to this is who you would contact if you require this information. This is the telephone number if you need to contact these people to find more information about the care process. And um, often um, it can even be, um, so it can be a civil populace that come from a very specific part of the world where they only speak a select um, series of languages. And often engagement can be the fact that it's being able to care for people while being accustomed to that it might be outside of their sphere of language. So for example, um, they might speak one language set, but their ability to read that language set might not be as, as strong as what it would be. Question, talking about some of these areas, there are this uh, gap within communication uh, because of languages or just understanding. What programs outside of the the government agencies, because my my assumption is a lot of this is driven by the government, is there any other private entities or non-governmental agencies that are supporting this? So um, what I found is that it's been a coordinated approach. Um, So what it is, is if you find a civil populace can't make it to a site to be cared for, often it goes up to the operational strategic level. And um, once it goes up to that level, then outreach teams would go out on the ground and they would go out with the the kit, the equipment to to care for the civil populace and to ensure that more of the civil populace is vaccinated. So so if where there is this divide, it's that strategic approach to ensuring that the while you have a civil populace that might not necessarily get covered on paper, being able to get people out on the ground and doing the work and caring for people, that's that really makes a big impact. That's really good, Vish. Talking about some of these areas, uh, I know you had talked about repurposing some of the stadiums for vaccine sites. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm sure, sure. So um, what it is is, um, across the country, um, a lot of stadia have, have obviously, they've fallen into a, a gap because um, the populace couldn't return to watch the football games or watch their, the games that they watch at the stadiums. And so um, often at stadiums, so one stadia I, I, I will freely talk about is Twickenham Stadium, which is the home of rugby. And so Twickenham was the site of the single largest vaccination effort in the UK. So it was roughly 11,000 people in one day at one site. And that was amazing. That was the best 
coordination, I'd say, across all agencies and all, all tiers, because that was that was a it's not only is it a major site in regards to its, its historic location, but having people being able to walk in and having assets there to support. And, and while you had people trying to, um, like you had people putting up placards and such, the the, the protesters, the, the police approach was so professional. It was amazing. They just made sure, sure that the civil populace was cared for. And essentially they just created a barrier saying, look, don't you're not allowed to come in here. You've got to let the civil populace get the care they require. And the civil populace were so happy to be able to come into the stadium, not only be able to see the pitch where um, history is made, uh, where, where where rugby games, go, international rugby games happen in the UK, but also being able to turn up and be cared for within a, I'd say, uh, historic sports um, stadium. So, oh, that seems like a really good incentive to get <laughs> to get vaccinated to actually come visit the stadium and be <laughs> in the middle and on the ground where you know you know such big games are played. No, that's, definitely, that's, that's that is kind of yeah. cool. Eleven thousand is no small number. I've never, I've never ever in my life have I seen such a large number of people walking through one location. And because the stadium is so big, you don't really get an idea of how many people that is when you look across the field at, at the lines. You, you, you know, your your mind can comprehend a hundred people, maybe two hundred people. But then when you look across and you 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 go out maybe 10 minutes later and it's a completely different set of people and it's a completely different set of people each time then you then you really do understand that this is in the thousands this is no longer in the hundreds so. <laughs> no that's great yeah so talking about eleven thousand people I, out of curiosity how long did it take to vaccinate eleven thousand people in one day hour? i'd say from dawn till dusk Okay. Dawn till dusk so so uh, i say i say dusk but i say night essentially because it was it was a whole spectrum approach from, so I, I was up at 4.30, I was at site for 0700, and then I left site for 2000. So that's, I'd say that, that and that was my day, um, not, not only vaccinating the civil populace, but also in regards to being able to support in other areas, so drawing up vaccine or being able to get people to the right person for their care or assisting in other needs. So. A vaccination site that big with that many people, how many vaccinators or just in general, how many people did it take to be able to pull something off like this? I would say it's in the hundreds. I'd say just if you look at, so so if you look at the, so it would be the, in regards to the healthcare staff, I'd say that's in the hundreds. I'd say in total, if you include all healthcare staff, um, I'd say that's about three, 400 people. And then you have volunteers. Then you have um, the civil police. Then you have um, the the wider efforts. So I'd say that I'd say roughly four or five hundred people as a rough figure, and and that's me being in in on the ground at the tactical level. If I saw the operational layout, I think it might maybe bigger or smaller, but that's just my own personal feedback. So. I mean, in talking about the staff, I know you're talking about, you know, multinational, multi, multi-skilled, multilingual, you know, cross-functional teams on the ground. Going back to some of the communication barriers, can you talk about the different languages within the UK that uh, you had to engage with the population there? Sure. Um, there's so many languages in the UK. And um, often um, it's, it's a case of having a list of people that have, um, so for example, a vaccine site manager would get out to a reception desk. These people within the, the team, the cross-functional team, are able to converse in the following languages. And then, so we'll have that person's name, and then they'll say, 
which languages they understand and which languages they, they speak as well. So you might find that some people have got an understanding of a language set, but may not be able to speak it. And then you have other team members that might have the, the I'd say the ability to speak it, but may not be able to read it. But have, giving that, pushing that down to, at the reception level where clients be able to come through the door. And um, maybe if you've got someone that has a language set that's not commonly spoken, having someone, even just one person on the team that can turn around and speak that language makes a big difference. There are um, service providers that um, provide a telephone service as well. So if you find that the language is not found um, in the in, in the team, um, people can ring the telephone service and they'll put an interpreter on the phone directly with the client. And the client can go through the vaccination process with someone speaking the language they're most, com- most comfortable speaking in and taking them through the whole set. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the global war on terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Talking about the cross-functional teams, having someone with, you know, or having multiple people with different languages on the teams. Can you give us an example of a breakdown of a cross-functional team with military, police, private doctors? Okay, so um, what I found is the cross-functional teams come across the entire sphere. So you have, so you may have um, people, so um, NHS staff that are doctors, NHS nursing staff, NHS um, administrative staff, and then you also have the the actual teams in regards to the the site security teams. Then you have the 
police security teams, you have the, the military support teams, and then you have the vaccine care. So then you have teams that are at the pharmacological level. So you have NHS pharmacists that are trained on the care for the vaccines. And then you go, if you push it all the way down, then you have people that come from all spheres of society. So you have people that have a range of skill sets that may not necessarily sit normally within the, the team, but provide you with a wider um, I'd say wider resilience in regards to if you have a client that has a series of, of difficulties, you have a very, very robust team. And that goes across genders as well. So you might find that you have um, a team that is um, quite mixed in regards to backgrounds, genders, um, capabilities, skills in, in regards to the whole sphere approach of the vaccine efforts. Interesting. You were talking about genders. I think that, that was great. Within your experience, talking about some of the cultural sensitivities, you know, with either, you know, gender, for example, females, or even including uh, religious. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And what it is, is in within the vaccination efforts, what it is, is it's been a whole spectrum approach. It's been about, let's get, ensure that people are vaccinated. Let's keep people safe. And um, often it has come to this, I'd say it's essentially like leave, uh, telling people to leave, if they've got personal um, baggage, leave that at the door. Don't bring it into the professional working environment. Professional working environment is about getting the, the populace vaccinated, being able to care for that populace and also being able to care for the populace as they go after care in regards to their vaccination efforts as well. And um, and then so when you have a team that comes from across the genders um, and across the, the range of the British, British society, so that would be not just people that are not, not so naturalized to the UK, born in the UK, but across Europe, across the international barriers, um, across, so I've seen teams made up from people from all across the international time zones. And so it has been a, a holistic approach to the vaccination efforts. And the fact that it's all towards one goal makes it efficient. So, no, That's great. It's always good to work when you're working cross-functional teams or, you know, multi-stakeholders that, you know, towards common objectives. And, it, and everything runs smoothly. That's, that's really good. I'm glad to hear everything within the UK was running smoothly based off your experiences. One question, with the current Delta variant, the Delta variant that's happening now, how is that impacting the vaccination process in the UK? So the Delta variant is um it's quite virulent it's, so that's that's been documented in in paperwork and it's been seen on the ground and so what has happened in the uk is it's this that that same high standard has been upheld so the fact that when people come through the doors they're screened from the moment they come through the doors masks on two meters spacing ensuring that you, the care is provided for them but ensuring that all staff are mindful they come in they get their they're, they're cared for um, the staff internally checks itself, makes sure that they are medically suitable and that they're not feeling unwell. And so it's that idea that you go into the environment with that mindset that you are worth more than yourself, that your input has a bigger impact. And every time you have that impact, the the populace may not know how, how many working parts there is to it, but they'll go home feeling happy and they'll know that they're in heart, their heart of hearts, they're safe. No, oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> So I, I want to ask a, uh, another question talking about specifically now, you know, it's been over a year that we've been under COVID restrictions and now uh, the Delta variant has come up and we've seen a lot more misinformation. I want to see how 
at your level, at the tactical level, and maybe a little bit higher, how how are they managing the misinformation or disinformation coming on uh, COVID-19 and the vaccinations? Okay, so often you'll find clients that come through the doors and they may have reservations due to the information warfare that's out there, the, the current operational environment. And so you have to you have to take them through the process and reassure them that them going through the process, we are there for, to care for you. And not only are we there to care for you at that moment in time and over the next half an hour while you're at the site, or it's that care is available to you all the way through from the start to the finish. And, and a lot of people have been asking, oh, I'm worried about X because of Y. It's not about quashing their, their worries. It's about t- soaking it in, accepting why they're upset or what they have that's that's weighing on their shoulders. And for, for the civil populace and where, where they have access to um, social media or there is a large um, access to media, what happens is often maybe snippets, maybe it might not even be misinformation, it might be just a snippet of information gets in. And they might carry that with them through the vaccination process. And so when they're upset or when they have that, that difficult moment, just being able to reassure them through the process that we will care for you. We are there for you. That's good to know. I'm sure you're tracking here in the United States. We've had a lot of misinformation, disinformation on the vaccines. Also talking about the, uh, the RNA process that you and I were talking about earlier before the, uh, the interview. Uh, which a lot of people are very uh, worried or really don't understand about how the RNA and DNA and the differences between that and the approach that we've taken now uh, with technology and science. So, no, thank you. So, Vish, you know, all the information is great. You know, here in the United States, uh, New York City was talking about a COVID passports and it, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of disputes behind that, a lot of people protesting behind the uh, COVID passports. But how about in the UK? Has anything like that been migrating around any type of COVID passport discussions? So I, what I've found is um, as the civil populace has been coming in to get the vaccinations, especially as we're now in the summer, um, what it is is I've had clients come in and ask, um, how do I get access to my passport? So, and what the way we've been doing things in the UK is there is an app called the NHS app. Um, the NHS app contains a digital record of your clinical data. So what it has is a agile response to your, your vaccination process. So by you logging onto the NHS app through your, 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 your prospective phone, what it does is it has a listing of when you had your vaccination, what vaccination you had, and where you had it. So for the future, um, if you have reference to this information, it does make life a lot easier. And in environments where you might be denied to, um, I'd say, satellite coverage. You, you often clients carry around a card with them that has their, their batch number of what vaccine they had and when they had it. And what that is, is that is a physical representation of their digital data. And often when they've got that den- denied to satellite coverage um, location, they might say go to a location and they say, I, I would like to enter. And a lot of the population might find, oh, um, the, the staff at the location might say, oh, have you got proof that you've been vaccinated? And often people can go literally into their wallets and they can say, right, 
there's my card. Yeah, so I've been successfully vaccinated. And it, it has a massive impact. It's such a reassurance for the civil populace to have, I have a physical representation in my, in my wallet that says it. Um, and even having the digital representation, it's just a, it's a really uplifting thing to, to know, actually, I'm, I'm fit to travel. I can go. I'm safe to go as long as um, I've had both my vaccinations and I'm ready to face the future. So. Knowing that and people having physical uh, identification or having access digitally to be able to enter establishments. Um, how about restaurants and pubs? Are they allowed to uh, allow uh, without vaccines or they must they have proof? So it, um, it, it does come down to the location. So it's a, it's, it's a case of um, each establishment has its own standard operating procedures. And so then you have to be mindful of that when you go to a location. So you might find that you go to a location and um, they might say um, you have to follow the following procedures before you can enter. You might go to another location and they'll say to you, we only let in X because of Y. Just follow their procedures. That it's their location. You're you're privy to to their rules and procedures to be able to enter. Um, they are under no duty to let you enter unless they deem you fit to enter. And if they say no, don't take it to heart. Just just <laughs> turn around and go to a different place. That's funny. I think we have something similar here in the U.S. too. Okay, Vish. So um, so Vish, you know, you and I have a. Uh, uh, common friends and uh, acquaintances you know i know arnell you know part of the uk fight club up there and i know you're a member so i, I definitely want you to talk a little bit uh, about the uk fight club sure so uk fight club is a grassroots organization about improvement and development for across the spheres of conflict but specifically within wargaming and within the development of agile methods to engage the the, the members and teams across the both the military, civilian and, and industry sectors. And so it's the idea that you you think, so you gain that cognitive advantage within the operational environment, then you fight. So you, 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 you put your theory into practice and then you repeat through um, doing iterations. So get your sets and reps in there. Um, and then by repeating, you internalize that knowledge and then you learn. And so it's the idea that it's not about the success or failure. It's whether you've been out fought or out thought. So um, I highly recommend if you do get a chance and you're interested in learning about UK Fight Club, you can go to ukfightclub.co.uk or ukfightclub1 on Twitter to find more about uh, the UK Fight Club efforts. No, Vish, thank you. I, you know, I'm looking forward more about learning some of the virtual war gaming out there. I, I see Arnell posting a lot about it. So, all right, Vish. Well, I appreciate your time. I've learned a lot about uh, the UK's uh, approach towards uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. I truly appreciate all that you do. I appreciate the National Health Service and Public Health of England, you know, the uh, British Army, St. John Ambulance that you work for, and their uh, contribution to the COVID-19 vaccinations. So thank you, Vish. Any last words? I want to say thank you so much for having me on and I just want to say thank you to to both yourself and to the entire populations both the US and the UK in regards to facing down this effort and to the international listeners um, to your populations if you're listening in I wish you all the best for the future and from the UK this is Vishal Dedra signing out thank you thank you thank you for spending some time with us 
please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.